Romans chapter 4, we're going to go to verse number 16, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. It says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for this time that we can be together with your people. Thank you for this precious word we have in front of us that we're able to read and get the sense thereof. And I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would help me to deliver this message today, help me to get out of the way so you can do something here. I'm so grateful, Lord, that we have this message today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have here a chapter 4. We have this testimony of the man Abraham. And uh, not just a testimony, but really for us it's important because he's basically our heritage. Uh, going back to the foundation of faith. Uh, in that passage it talked about how that the Lord said he'd be a father of many nations. Now we know that through him was not just, were, were, was actually the, the children of Israel. Uh, it was through his son Isaac and then through Jacob that Israel was created through the sons of Jacob. Now Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So whenever you say the name Israel, you're really just saying Jacob. So when you're saying the children of Israel, you're saying the children of Jacob. But the Lord said, I don't want you to think that just because I called this special people out of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, that somehow you're not involved here as Gentiles. He says, that's why when I talked to Abraham, I said, you're going to be a father of many nations, not just one. Now, we know that one nation is very vital. It's very important. God's plan initially through a national outreach to be a light to the whole world, to the Gentiles. And we know he's not done with them yet. Amen. Amen. We believe that they will be restored. We believe they, at the end of the tribulation, that the remnant of Israel will be saved and they will occupy Israel, the full extent of the boundaries of that land. Why? Well, to be a light. 
to finally fulfill what God designed for them. See, when God does something, he doesn't do it for a temporary purpose. He always does it forever. What God doeth, he doeth it forever, the Bible says. A lot of people like to make Israel temporary, but they can't. Amen. Because you got something called God's covenant, God's word that you can't overcome. And so we know they're going to be restored. But to the rest of us, he's saying, hey, that doesn't mean that you're left out of this picture here. We know that in the original covenant in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 12. So when he's talking about his covenant with Abraham, he's referring to Genesis chapter 12 and then aspects of Genesis 15, which he's talking about the land itself. But 12, he's talking about, I'll make of you a great nation. And in that is also a statement that says, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's where you families that are here, you've been blessed through the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, why did God choose Abraham? Well, because he knew that Abraham would believe him. And here's Abraham in the Ur of Chaldees, really in the southern part of the Babylonian kingdom. No Christian community here. (laughs) No religious community. He was involved in a community that worshipped false gods. The moon god, which is Allah, by the way, was there in Babylon. Yet there was a, a, a plurality of gods that they worship in that time. Yet God, when he looked upon the earth, looking to start this nation that he was going to use to reach the rest of the world, his eyes stopped on this man in the Ur of Chaldees. And that man was Abraham. And that's why in Genesis 12, he says, this is for you, Abraham. And he knew that he was going to believe him. It's an amazing thing. Abraham's a pretty special individual. God used him powerfully. But here in this passage, we're not only going to see that God is using him, but we're going to see why God used him and what was in Abraham that God saw so valuable in this passage. And so I've got several things that I was going to preach in this chapter. I'm going to move ahead quite a bit. Last week, we talked about the testimonies of faith. We saw Abraham, but we also saw David. How he said, blessed is a man whom the Lord doth not impute iniquity. Which really connected to the New Testament is saying, blessed is a man that the Lord imputeth righteousness. (laughs) That means if you're going to be saved today, it's going to be because the Lord doesn't put your sin on your account or on your record. See, a lot of people, they think they can wash their own record. (laughs) A lot of people think that if, if I do certain things, that somehow my record will be ignored. But that's not it at all. Your record is the only thing that's going to stand. So those that come to Christ by faith and receive Christ as their Savior, what he does is he imputes your sin that was on your record, takes it and puts it on himself on that cross. And then in response to your faith in believing him, he takes his righteousness from his record and he puts it on your record. See, that's called the imputation of righteousness. If you're going to heaven, it's going to be because you are going to stand perfect before God. 
say, well, I'm not perfect. Well, you are not. <laughs> but how's your record? Do you understand? If you start asking here whether you're going to be accepted in heaven by something you're doing down here, you've lost that battle. <laughs> How is sin dealt with? I look at a lot of these religions that are out there and they're telling me about this, that, and they're even talking about forgiveness. But then I say, okay, you're talking about forgiveness, but how does God forgive someone that's guilty? See, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And that's why Jesus Christ had to come and die. He took that sin upon himself so that he could remit our sins. He could clean our record and then cause us to stand before God perfect, perfectly righteous. That's why when you try to take that record and say, this is what Jesus gave me or wants to give me, and this is what I want to offer Jesus. And you're going to start offering stuff that you're coming up with. <laughs> Do you understand <laughs> the futility of that? That somehow there's something you can do that's going to cause you to stand perfectly before God? And by the way, it's either all of faith in what Christ did, or it's no faith. <laughs> there's no mixture in any way whatsoever of you and faith in Christ. Like we talked about last week. Faith in Christ. What's the word? Alone. Alone. If you want to be saved, you have to turn to Christ. And he has to be everything. He has to be the reason why. He has to be your complete forgiveness. He has to be your complete atonement. He has to be the, the reason that you're going to stand before God and you know you will not die in the very presence of God Almighty because you're standing in Christ. Amen. Faith in Christ is faith in Christ alone. Here in this passage, we're seeing several truths that I can't all get into today. But notice what it says. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. What that tells me is this, that if I do not come to God by faith in Christ, there is no grace for my salvation. So he says, I had to do it by faith because if I went by works, there'd be no grace for you. And I'm going to tell you what you need today. You need grace. <laughs> now, if you're lost here today, you need the grace of salvation. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is a powerful word in the scripture. Grace, as far as you're concerned, is really the word that's very important for you. Because no matter where you are right now, even if you're saved, that word grace means something to you this morning. Some of you have just got over sickness or maybe you're going through something. You know what you need? Oh, I need healing. Give me a faith healer. No, you need grace. The Bible says that you can come boldly before the throne of grace, that you may find help in a time of need. But it's amazing. We don't want grace. We want, we want, we want shows. We want, we want, Lord, fix up my life down here. He says, no, I'm trying to fix up your life for up there. 
but we just want to get our life fixed down here. Grace is a powerful thing. Do you know that grace can only come to you through faith? You will not be able to access grace without faith. And that's important. So if you're trying to somehow please God by what you do, apart from your obedience to the word of God, you're believing the word of God, there's no way you'll have the grace to do it. As I'm preaching here today, as I stand before this pulpit, I rest in the grace of my God. That even though I'm insufficient to preach and to be used by God, that he will, with his grace, work through me. And I can't figure it out. I really, I'll never be able to figure it out, maybe, maybe until heaven. How that God can use someone imperfect to do a perfect work in their heart. That's a miracle. How God can use an imperfect woman like Mary to produce a perfect child. How God can use an imperfect Bible or, or apostles or prophets to give us a perfect Bible. I'm going to tell you what that is. That surely is not man. That's called grace. That's what happens when we believe God. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, you're going to have to ask yourself a question. How am I going to get to God? You're going to actually come up with one of two answers. You're going to say, well, I'm going to try harder. Maybe I'll get baptized. Maybe I'll go to church more. Or you'll come up with the right answer, and that is, I'm just going to believe that Jesus did this for me. All him. I've told you this before. Faith is never introspective. You can't bring your faith inside to yourself. Faith is designed to always point outward. (laughs) And it's designed to point at one specific place. And that's Christ. The word. So if you got your faith pointing in, I'll tell you what you are today. You're a mess. You're starting to see how insufficient you are. You're starting to doubt your salvation. You're starting to doubt your life, your purpose, all these kinds of things because your faith is being put inside. But I'll tell you something, when you take that same faith and you put it on Christ, all of a sudden I have a secure salvation, I have a secure purpose, a future, all these things have all been set straight simply because Christ is everything to me. Do you understand that? You know the reason why you're depressed is because you look at yourself. You want to know why you're anxious? Because you're looking at your limitations. But if you can just take that faith that you look at, I've had people say, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I prayed hard enough. (laughs) I don't know if I prayed all those right words. And it's always I. They had their faith turned right inside and they were picking apart this imperfect vessel. I'm saying, if you're going to keep looking at yourself, you're never going to find security. (laughs) Do you understand that? It's kind of like these people, they're always wanting job security. So what do they do? They get the picket signs. (laughs) Say, great, once you come up with a deal, you'll never be out there again. (laughs) Next year, they're out there again. No security in this world. They fool themselves that somehow there's some kind of a security, but there is none. (laughs) There's no security for your soul. There's no security for your family. 
There's no security for your job. There's no security for your bank account. There's no security for anything unless your faith can turn from within yourself to Him. He is the only thing that keeps you on track. And at times where it seems it's impossible, that's where the Lord says, this is why you put faith in me. I do it for you. But how in the world is he ever going to do it for you by grace if you keep you looking at yourself? Your limitations. Well, I can't. I can't do this. You're living a Christian life like it's all on you. <laughs> well, the Bible says I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you know, I pointed it out several times before in that passage how that those two little letters there, of and in. All the new versions change that of to in. Tell me what that does. When I say I live my life by my faith in Jesus, the faith of the Son of God, or in, in the faith, or faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what it does is it puts it back inside. But if I say that I'm living my life by the faith of the Son of God, it takes that faith and puts it back on Him. Amen. He's the one in the driver's seat. He's the one that dictates. He's the one that tells me what I'm supposed to do. I don't need to come up with a plan. I don't need to come up with anything. I just simply need to believe what the Son of God has said. Oh, faith is powerful, but it has to be set on the right thing. You say, well, I believe I came from a monkey. And you've got every right to believe that. You go ahead and believe it. But does it make it so? No. See, your faith in you becoming, <laughs> coming from a monkey has no power. It does nothing. But if I take that same faith and I say, I came from a God that created all things. Now that same faith has become powerful. See, your faith in itself is weak, useless. But the moment you take that faith and you put it on him, it's like it gets energized from heaven above. Just kaboom! Like TNT. He says, now let me show you what I can do. Because you're accessing God's throne. And that's from where all grace comes from. Amen? But without faith, nope. You're not getting it. <laughs> All of my life is just such a mess. Grace. Turn to him. Stop thinking about yourself. Do what the Lord's asked you to do. Submit to him. And you will find that everything in your life will begin to turn around. Because he's going to empower you from above into this sinner's life. Oh, the things that God can do with us. Amen. What a wonderful truth that is. Grace. <laughs> the law can't deliver grace. We know in the passage here, it says in verse 15, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. So basically, <laughs> the law, all it's doing for you, those of you that think you're going to get to heaven by obeying the law, all it's doing for you is showing you how bad you are. And when you know how bad you are, you know there's a punishment for my bad. <laughs> All the law does is wrath. The Bible says the law kills, but the Spirit giveth life. 
People say, well, I'm going to go to the court and they're going to figure out my problem. No, they're going to kill you. And whatever you're bringing into that court, it's going to kill them too. You can't go into the court and expect to bring life. There's no life in that. Well, my marriage is a mess. We're going to the court. Well, might as well get the headstone. That's what your faith is going to bring you. Because you're putting your faith in the law. And I'm sorry, this world does not have your answer. You got a marriage problem, I'll tell you what you do. You take your faith and turn it to Christ. And then it gets energized. And your marriage can become better. Amen. Amen. Courts, death. Spirit, life. Your choice. In the Old Testament, he says, I set before you this day both blessing and cursing. I'm giving you a choice. You want blessing or cursing? I mean, duh. <laughs> Amen. I guess we got to know. I was thinking about this. Imperfect, imperfection marks man's idea of salvation by works. That's all I can think about when I think about salvation by works is our imperfection. <laughs> I can't think of our perfection. But imputation marks God's plan of salvation by faith. So if you want to get to God by how good you are, your life is going to be marked by imperfection. Because your whole life you'll be looking at yourself and saying, well, maybe, I don't know, did I cross the line? And I grew up in a, in a religion that they could say you could lose your salvation, but they didn't know exactly what you needed to do to lose it. So you never really knew, but it's just marked by imperfection. But when I come to Christ by faith, it's marked by imputation. I come before God because I've been delivered this righteousness onto my record, where when the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my old record anymore. He sees the record of his son. He says, oh, you're one of those people that never sinned before. I say, are you sure you're looking right here, God? He says, oh, yeah, I'm looking pretty good. I see exactly what I need to see. That's what Jesus did for you. Amen, if you're saved here today. Grace is the only guarantee of the result. Grace. Without God's grace, you'll never get the result you're looking for. Whether you're trying to be a preacher, whether you're trying to be uh, a good husband, a wife, a mother, You can try to read all the self-help books and all that, folks, but you cannot do it without the grace of God. But in order to receive grace, you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. Faith, well, I'll move ahead here a little bit. We'll get done. I want to give you a definition of what faith is from this passage. There's five things, the word faith, F-A-I-T-H. The first one, F, is facts. See, faith doesn't start in just what I want. (laughs) Faith starts with facts. Truth. That which is already nailed down as truth. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, guess what? The same same thing happens with each one of those those, uh, people that are in the hall of faith. Noah, being warned of God, prepared an ark. Moved with fear, preparing the ark. So what's the key there? God told them. 
the fact. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What's that all about? God told him what to offer. Abraham sojourned into a land that he didn't know and so forth. Well, why did he do that? Because God told him to. Do you understand there is no power to your faith unless you have facts involved? Unless you've got the word of God telling you to do something. So someone comes at you, hey, you just name it and claim it. Where do you find that in this book? (laughs) There's no name and claim in this book. (laughs) In this book, there's, this is what I want you to do. And this is what you need to choose to do. And if you do this, this is what I'm going to do for you. (laughs) But it always starts with God. If your action is starting with something else other than the, the words of God there's something seriously wrong with your faith. Like that one guy, he was, going, he was in the service, and he had the spirit tell him to walk, to run headfirst into a wall. And he broke his neck. And then they asked him later, well, did God tell you? He says, well, the spirit told me, but it was the wrong spirit. See, that's what's going on today in churches. See, these pulpits aren't there anymore, are they? (laughs) These pulpits of wood that Nehemiah had (laughs) back by the water gate when Ezra stood up and read the word of God and they made the sense thereof and all the people stood up and said, Amen! And they lifted up their hands. And when he was done reading, they all fell on their faces and started worshiping God. That pulpit of wood, that word of God is disappearing out of churches. So we put a drum set over here. And we make it about the music and the, and the rock beat and the having a good time and the smoke show. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. I've lost people in this church over this statement. But that is wicked. You don't go to churches where they're playing rock music and they've got smoke shows and they've got lights flashing. That is not the house of God. The house of God has a pulpit in the middle. It has the word of God on it. And it has a man saying, Thus saith the Lord. And probably half the people are mad at the preacher. Then you know you're at the right church. (laughs) Amen. You want to have true faith, you got to start with fact. Not this thing, well, you just believe it. You just just, uh, manifest. (laughs) You ever heard that? I'm going to manifest something in my life. The only thing I can manifest is what the Lord said I could manifest. But there's no such thing as taking your vile imagination and projecting that into your real life and somehow that is God working through you. It starts with the word of God. That's why we make much of the Bible. That's why we tell people, read your Bibles. Teach your kids to read their Bibles because without this, they'll have nowhere to put their faith. And they'll start manifesting their will upon the world. It's not what God wants. (laughs) He wants me to live my life by the faith of the Son of God. Amen. That's good preaching. Hope you agree. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Can I tell you something? The Lord is giving us a principle of faith right here in this passage. He's saying, if you will put your faith in my word, what I've said, I will take something that does not even yet appear and I'll make it into something that you will see right before your eyes. But you've got to believe it by faith. Now, none of us were there when he said, let there be light. But we believe what the Bible says. What happened there? Well, there was nothing and God took nothing and made something. Now look at your life. What do you have? Well, Lord, I'm nothing. Well, he does pretty good with nothing. If you will put your faith in the Lord with your nothing life, he will make it into something. But you've got to stop looking in at yourself and sucking your thumb. Oh, I'm just no good. Yeah, the Bible says that all over the place. You're absolutely no good. And so you should just say, amen. You are no good. But isn't it amazing how God could take someone that's no good and nothing and make them into something? That's a principle of faith. That's where it all begins. That's why Abraham could make the decisions he made. Because the same faith he put in, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, is the same faith he put in when he says, hey, you're going to be a great nation. Well, God says, well, Abraham says, if God could make something out of nothing and make all of this out of nothing, then why couldn't he take me and make something like that? Amen. That's faith. Amen? Fact is first. Agreement. You've got to get an agreement with God. Romans 4.20, it says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Staggered not. What does staggering mean? It means to withdraw from, to hesitate, to doubt, to waver, to be uncertain, to vacillate between two opinions or decisions. So Abraham said, I'm not vacillating here. <laughs> I'm not saying, well, maybe God will, maybe he won't. Maybe God will, well, maybe I should be. I mean, with Abraham, it was okay. See, you've got to get into agreement with God. See, it's one thing that God created the world. <laughs> but it, and, and, you know, and creation obeys God, doesn't it? It's just amazing. I wish I was obedient as creation. That the waters were made still. <laughs> be still. Poof. I wish you could say that to me and I'd just go, poof. But you know what goes through this rotten stinker up here? And i got to process this. And I'm not nearly as obedient as the waters and the winds. You know, because it's going through my brain. It's going through my intellect. That means you have to just say, you know what? God, if you said it, I'm just going to believe it. Amen. Do you understand that's a principle that starts at salvation? and continues throughout your whole life. There's no such thing as, I'm going to believe God for salvation, but I'm not going to believe him for my daily life. 
Well, what's harder? <laughs> to forgive my sins, take me from a hell-bound sinner to a heaven-bound saint, and then not, he can't take care of my personal life down here? That principle, if you truly have faith in Christ, that faith is an ongoing process. It goes on forever till Jesus comes. That's why there's never a Christian that has walked away and left Christianity. Well, I know somebody. <laughs> no, you knew a lost man that walked away from an opportunity to be saved. But you'll never find a true Christian that has walked away from Christ. It's impossible. You get that. <laughs> Nowadays, with all the CCM rock bands that are out there, by the droves, what they're doing is they're renouncing Christianity. Singers and guitar players that grew up in these rock bands. They're finding really how empty it is and, and they're, they're, they're tempting themselves every week with the flesh because they've never truly trusted Christ. Put on a good show for the flesh. But it's amazing how they're all turning away from the Lord. <laughs> Renouncing. Church leaders in some of these churches are saying, I'm, I'm not following Jesus anymore. <laughs> See, there's something about David. David, he committed adultery. David, he, he committed murder. But you know, what he, you know what he always knew? Who his God was. And you're going to mess up too. You're going to do some pretty stupid things. And stuff worthy of a lot of consequence. But guess what? If you're a true Christian, you'll always know who your God is. You start worshiping Baal after that and saying, well, <laughs> maybe your faith wasn't so sincere. You understand that? Agreement. Abraham was in agreement. He said, no matter what you say, God, I just believe it. I agree with you. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. Third one is internalization, the I. Faith is being fully persuaded in the heart that God will do what he says. So Romans 4.20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. It's like I said through, during Sunday school, your convictions don't come from your head. <laughs> your convictions come from your heart. And that's why many people, even though they go to churches and they hear the doctrine, they many times live opposite of what they've learned because they believe in their heart something that's opposite to what they're being told. And that's why many people live in a state of, of real uh, upheaval in their life because they know what the answer is, but in their heart they believe something opposite. You'll always live after your heart not after your mind. So you have to come into agreement, but then that knowledge has to sink down into your heart. The Bible says that um, whoso, can, uh, whoso believeth in their heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So it's not believing in your head. I heard it in Sunday school. I got it all stored up here. I know exactly what Jesus did. And I'm not saying I'm against that. I grew up like that. 
I always honored Jesus. <laughs> I never took his name in vain my whole life. I never wanted, I used other curse words. But I would never, I was taught that by my mother that if this Jesus is real, she respected him. And I thought, well, he must be something good. And so I'm going to honor him. But guess what? I was as lost as anybody else. Until the day where everything I'd learned up here sank right down in here. See, because salvation isn't just about putting thoughts in your head. Salvation is about receiving. Amen? And I remember it was actually 25 years old, 24 years old, is when I received. I was at Bible camp when I was eight. I was in Sunday school growing up. I heard it all. Some of you are like that. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Is it here? When that hits here, there is no turning back. There's no turning back. That's why you have a lot of people talking about Jesus. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Let's worship Jesus. And then they turn away from Jesus because it never was internalized. It never went to the heart. And you may be here, you say, well, I'm not denying Jesus. I think he's great. I think he might even think he's God. But you've never received. This is where your convictions are, right here. The way you're going to live is going to be based on what you believe right here. And you do believe in your heart. The Bible says you believe in your heart. So your heart has the capability to believe. So does your mind. <laughs> That's why the Bible says the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Because I try to tell everybody what I know up in my brain, but I'm really living what's in my heart. So you're living a double life. Well, it's only because what I've been taught in church is just sitting up here and what's in here is what I really want. See, your heart is that which you love. It's your affections. It's what you crave. Amen? So as soon as you take your faith and you put it on Christ, then you're saying, you know what? My heart craves for you. That's when everything else goes to the wayside. Amen? Then there's no more double-mindedness. No more double life. I may be messed up and I need help. <laughs> you know, Nothing wrong with a Christian that has the things they need to work through. When I got saved, I still smoked cigarettes. I still had long hair. But the Lord took them all away. Because I finally became real. Amen? And maybe you're here today, you need to be real. <laughs> maybe that faith needs to... Bring that truth down into your heart. Just like Abraham, it brought it right down there. He says, I ain't no turning back for me. Doesn't matter what the impossibility is. Let's move on quickly here. The next one is turning, trusting. Romans 4, 22, 25, it says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was written for his, not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also. To whom it shall be imputed if, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Then it says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. 
You know, the Bible requires repentance for salvation. I know I'm going to get emails and texts now after the service. How dare you say that? (laughs) It's true. The Bible says, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So I first got to settle on, it says in this passage, I got to believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So I've got to settle the aspect of the Godhead here. Who is God? See, in the New Testament, it wasn't such a big thing because back then they would always have little statues set up in their home. They say, this has been my God all along, so it wasn't a hard thing to think of. I need to turn away from that to him. But nowadays, it's a lot more difficult because our idols aren't sitting in our living room. Sometimes they are. Our idols are in here. So I first got to settle my idea of who God is. Is it that Greek mythology? These statues I've been bowing down to? See, this is the problem we came to in India when we started to uh, witness to people. You can't just go to them and say, oh, pray this prayer and you're going to be saved because all they're doing is tacking one more God onto the million they already have. So now I got a million and one. And they'll just, they'll play it like I'm just as saved as you are. Yet they don't take down the idols in their home. They don't take down the pictures of the, the elephant with the whatever. <laughs> no, you got to understand something. When you turn to God, <laughs> those gods are gone. And if they're not gone, then you didn't put faith in Christ. Or maybe you're still just playing around with your idea of God. But that is the first step, is repentance toward God. The one that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. Is he not the one of the Bible? Is he not the one that spoke the world into existence? Is that the God I'm going to follow? Or is it Allah? Well, it doesn't matter which one you have. You just pick whichever one you want. Repentance. Turn to God. Who is he? That God is holy. Free from all error and sin. So he's not going to take your sin and wink at it. He's not going to say it's okay. There's going to be some kind of reconciliation that has to take place here. Yeah, we pick a God that, oh, he doesn't care if I sin. Well, then I'm sorry, you still have not repented. I'm not saying you can fix yourself. You can't. But you have to acknowledge what you are. Just like Isaiah, when he looked up and saw the thrice holy God that says, holy, holy, holy. You know what the first thing he said was? I am a man of unclean lips. The first statement out of his mouth after he saw the holiness of his God was how bad he was. It's easy to measure yourself against a God of your own making. But when you measure yourself against the God of heaven, oh, all those impurities that come out and you say, Lord, how could you ever save me? I'm so filthy, God. That's why the second half is repentance toward God and faith. 
toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So the father says, turn to my son. Look what he's done for you. He, he took your sin upon himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father except by me. No man. So the Father says, I'm glad you're starting to see who I am. But if you truly see who you are in light of my holiness, you will go to him. Faith to Christ. Amen. That's why today those that put faith in other things, faith in their own works, they really haven't repented toward God. They've not made their mind up about who God really is. See, God is not just a holy God, but, oh, but he's just a God of love. (laughs) The love attribute of God revolves around the holiness of God. The holiness doesn't revolve around the love of God. His holiness, which is a central attribute of who God is, though his love revolves around that holiness, and never will he ever compromise the holiness for his love. And that's why he had to send his son. He said, just because I love you doesn't mean I'm just going to forget what you've done. But I'll provide a way because I love you. And my son will die for you. And he will take everything you owe on himself. And that way I can still be the God of holiness. The God of justice. The God of all these things that you've always believed about who God is. And the only way you can come to heaven with knowing who I am is to come through my son. Yet I've heard religion say, well, I'm going to get to heaven, but there's no son. I tell them, I say, how can you be forgiven? Just because God says, I'll forgive you? Like, where's the balance of justice? You got to repent toward God. And then, trust Christ. And if you do repent toward God, you will trust Christ. It's one and the same. It's two sides to the same coin. Amen? Believe him. So turning and trusting are important. And letter H, finally, my last one, is hope. Hope. This is what it said about Abraham. Verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope. (laughs) Who against hope believed in hope. You know what that means? That means, here I am a sinner... There's no way I can be as perfect as God. If I would enter into heaven, uh, right away his perfect heaven would no longer be perfect. It's an impossibility for me in my sin to stand before my God. There is no hope. But then Jesus comes. He says, I'm here to give you hope. But it's by faith. See, faith is you putting in hope in what Christ told you against all hope. God said to Abraham, you're going to have a promised son, Isaac. Abraham's saying, really? I'm 100 years old. See, that's against hope. (laughs) There's just no way. There's no 
human, physical way that I'm ever going to have a son that is going to produce for me millions of descendants that's going to create this nation. Impossibility. Yet Abraham says, okay. Faith is hope against all hope. Where are you now in your life? (laughs) Well, there's nothing that God can do for me. Well, it sounds like you're against hope. So if you add faith to this, then you can actually have hope and God will do it for you. Do you understand that? (laughs) It's not true faith until you have exercised hope against all hope. God, I don't know if you ever... Help my family. Got no hope? Well, then put your faith in Christ. And he'll show you what hope is. Amen. But if you're going to allow that aspect of it's against hope to dictate your decisions, that's what the world is doing. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to keep popping some pills, keep drinking this booze, keep looking at the porn, keep looking at the garbage of the world and somehow distract myself from a life of no hope. See, that's what you do when you have no faith. But when you have faith, then you have all hope. All hope. As hopeless as it was for you as a sinner to enter into heaven, a perfect and holy place, and now because you trusted in Christ, You will stand before God. The Bible says, I'll present you faultless before his glory. Wow, an impossibility. Against all hope, there is hope. You know that God can do that same thing in the problem you're facing right now. And if you don't do it, and if you don't trust him, then you don't have faith. Starts with fact. Agreement. Internalization, turning. 